Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 331. Today's topic is your climate-friendly backyard. Grow more, mow less. So this is a little bit of a new perspective on landscaping, something you won't see very much. And it reminds me of what farmer and author Gabe Brown said about his conversion from a conventional approach to farming to a biological and ecological approach to farming. He said, I used to wake up in the morning and say, what am I going to kill today? But now I wake up in the morning and I say, what am I going to let live today? We have an opportunity to embrace the magnificent and outrageous abundance of nature if we will go with the flow of nature instead of always fighting nature. Doesn't mean you won't sometimes have problems with pests and predators and pathogens and weeds. But if we go with the flow, we can help a lot more things live instead of just always fighting nature. It also reminds me of what Mark Shepard said. Mark Shepard's the author of Restoration Agriculture. And he said, you go to a farming convention and they talk about two things, how to make something grow that doesn't want to grow and how to kill something that does want to grow. So that's a lot of work, if nothing else. The purpose of the Climate Report is to solve the problem of climate change in spirit and in truth, in theory and in practice, as individuals and as a society, at home and abroad, in the city and the country, wherever we live, work, and play. So we're going to be talking about that which is close to home, our own backyard, our own home landscape. And if you don't have a backyard, the following still applies wherever grass grows. I want you to be able to, so what are the desired outcomes of this episode? I want you to be able to drive down the road and whenever you see lawn or lawn chemicals or maybe a a not very diverse or abundant landscape, I want you to be able to see opportunities. And I I want you to be able to see problems and opportunities. I will be reading from my handy dandy numbered list This numbered list has 38 items which we can't possibly get through today, but we'll see what we can do. My first 11 items, actually 12 items, start with understand dot dot dot. Understand this. Understand that. When I say understand something, I'm not trying to be haughty or condescending. I'm just saying, hey, here's something. Let's think about this for a minute and see what you think. Item number one, understand that our home landscapes can be a major force for good in terms of our climate, our biodiversity, our water quality, our air quality, and our health. This is not something that you're going to see on TV advertisements when people are trying to sell you 
pesticides or fertilizers or lawn equipment. They're not trying to orient you to the fact that your home landscape could be a major force for good because they're not in the business of helping your home landscape be a major force for good. Item number two, understand that currently our home landscapes are a major force for ill in their impact on our climate, on our biodiversity, our water quality, our air quality, and our health. So we could be going in the right direction, but instead we're going in the wrong direction. Our soil could be a major filter for toxins. Instead, we put toxins on the soil, on the plants, so that our home landscape is a source of toxin. Our home landscape could be a carbon sink. In other words, it could be a place where carbon goes to be stored and hidden or used where it can do some good. But instead, our home landscapes are a major source of carbon, not least of all in the mowing equipment that we use. Not only the gas that it takes to run the mowing equipment, but also the, you know, all the carbon it takes to manufacture the mowing equipment. If mowers are like cars, then most of the carbon and most of the pollution during the life cycle of that piece of equipment is in the manufacturing process. In other words, it produces most of its pollution before it rolls off the assembly line. So the very existence of that equipment is a major source of carbon and a major source of pollution even before you turn the key to start it for the very first time. Item number three, understand that our backyards and landscapes can absolutely be a haven for wildlife, a haven for biodiversity, a haven for bees, butterflies, and birds. This is the message of Dr. Doug Tallamy, who is a hero of mine. Look up Doug Tallamy online, especially on YouTube, T-A-L-L-A-M-Y, Doug Tallamy, and let him show you how to help your home landscape be a place where caterpillars and butterflies and moths and bees and butterflies can absolutely, you know, thrive in your home landscape. So understand that this is possible. Number five, understand that healthy soil absorbs carbon. Don't we need to take carbon out of the atmosphere and put it somewhere? The best place to put carbon is in the soil because soil that is rich with carbon is also going to be rich with nutrients for your plants. Soil that is rich with carbon is more able to absorb rainfall. What's the statistic? I think it's 27,000 gallons of water. Every 1% of soil carbon that it, you know, if the soil carbon increases by 1%, then that increases by 27,000 gallons the amount of rainfall that an acre can hold. That's a lot of water. Carbon-rich soil is fertile soil. In nature, 
most soils are between 5 and 10 percent soil organic matter, which is closely related to soil carbon. We have degraded and degraded and degraded our soils to where they typically have 1 to 2 percent soil organic matter. We need to turn that pattern back around and we can do it all the while making our soil more fertile. So continuing item number five, I said understand that healthy soil absorbs carbon and this is good for the climate in that it reduces greenhouse gases. More carbon in the soil means less carbon in the air. Item number six, understand that a healthy ecosystem absorbs carbon and water. Conversely, an ailing ecosystem emits carbon and water. This is true whether you're talking about an ecosystem that's in your landscape, an ecosystem that is on a farm, an ecosystem that is in a forest. A healthy, thriving ecosystem is going to absorb carbon and water. Carbon and water flow together. They flow into an ecosystem together if it's a healthy ecosystem. They flow out of an ecosystem if it's an ailing ecosystem or if it's an ecosystem being destroyed. For example, let's say you take a healthy forest and for whatever reason you bring in the chainsaws and the bulldozers and you cut down that forest. Well, we know that carbon is going to be released from the trees because those trees are going to decay and the leaves are going to decay. But it's also true that carbon is going to be released from the soil because the trees that were maintaining that soil in a healthy state are not there anymore so that soil is going to decay or oxidize the living things in that soil, earthworms for example, the but also the bacteria, the nematodes, the protozoa, the microorganisms, the insects that used to live in that soil are going to die because they no longer have habitat and when they die and their bodies decay that carbon is released into the atmosphere. Also, a whole lot of water is released into the atmosphere because it's evaporating from the decaying bodies of animals. It's evaporating from the decaying leaves. It's evaporating from the, you know, from the trees that used to be there. So conversely, if you have an ecosystem that, that is, is growing, it's, it's becoming more complex over the course of time, like you know, you have, let's say you have trees and those trees have the effect of nurturing soil health. For one thing, what happens every year in the fall? The leaves fall from the trees onto the ground, they are fertilizing the ground, they are adding carbon to the ground, they are adding carbon to the soil. All these living things like earthworms and insects and the microbiome come and have a meal every day from the leaves that are falling from the trees. 
and as a result that healthy ecosystem continues to grow in complexity, continues to grow in diversity, continues to grow in its biomass, continues to accumulate organic matter, which is the dead stuff that falls and becomes incorporated into the soil, etc. So when that ecosystem is growing, it's absorbing water because the rain falls, the trees utilize that water, the rain falls on the soil, uh, on the leaves, and those leaves and the soil capture that water, and then the living things inside the soil consume that water and they grow. So carbon in, in a healthy ecosystem, carbon is flowing into it and water is flowing into it. Both carbon and water are very important for our, for, for our climate and for biodiversity, but both carbon and water are important for climate. We only hear about the carbon part. We rarely, if ever, hear about how important water is to our climate, but that's another conversation. You're listening to Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is the Climate Report, and I'm Hart Hagen, your host. Item number seven. We know that carbon is an important factor in climate change, but understand that water is also an important factor in climate change. This is repeating a little bit what I said before. Water lives in ecosystems. Water flows through ecosystems. Water is not really living, but water is performing its highest and best functions when it is flowing through ecosystems and flowing through the plants, the animals, the fungi that, that constitute that ecosystem. So water lives in ecosystems, water flows through ecosystems. So when we nurture our backyard ecosystem, we are positively impacting the climate by helping restore local water cycles create uh, and create cool little microclimates where we live. Okay, so if you walk into a forest and the forest is cool, that forest is cool because it is a microclimate. When you hear the word climate today, it almost it usually refers to global warming. It refers to global average temperatures, but there are not very many average climates because climate is a local and regional phenomenon. The point is we have the power to create microclimates. We have the power to plant trees, let trees grow, but it's not just trees and it's not just the shade of a tree, it's also the water that is transpired from that tree. So let's talk about how water cools things. When you sweat, why do we sweat? We sweat because when that water gets on your skin and then it evaporates, it carries a whole lot of heat away from our bodies. It turns the sensible heat 
into another form of energy that's called latent heat, but it's not really heat in the sense that you can't feel it. It's just a, it's a form of motion energy. But water cools things down and there's a whole lot of water that resides in plant matter. There's a whole lot of water that resides in healthy soils. There's a whole lot of water that resides in the animals and the fungi. So you have your plant kingdom, your animal kingdom, and fungi is a whole separate kingdom. And there's a whole lot of water in the soil, in the plants, in the animals, in the fungi. And so that ecosystem that includes all those living things is a source of cooling. It is a solar powered air conditioner because the energy comes from the sun, shines on the plants. The plants take that light energy and turn it into chemical compounds, especially sugars. And they, so they take the energy from the sun and turn it into energy. So in the photosynthesis process, that is a cooling, that the photosynthesis itself has a cooling effect because it's an endothermic reaction. It's a reaction, it's a chemical reaction that absorbs heat. And then there are other chemical reactions that give off heat, like when you burn something that gives off heat. So if you want to get an idea of how much of a cooling effect a tree has had during its lifetime, then take some of the wood from that tree and burn it. That heat that was once stored in the tissues of the tree, in the wood, in the leaves, is now being released. So we know that that fire is just a reversal of the cooling process that once occurred. So we know that cooling process occurred and it stored a whole lot of heat energy for a very long time. So that's the opportunity that we have to let things grow and let things absorb heat. They do that in photosynthesis and they also do it in the process of transpiration. Transpiration is like perspiration, except people perspire, trees transpire. So trees release all, all this water. They use some of that solar energy to drink up the water, and then they use some of that solar energy to let the water transpire. When the water transpires, it evaporates. When water evaporates, it has a tremendous cooling effect. Every gram of water that evaporates takes 540 calories to do that. Now there's big calories and there's little calories. These are the little calories. So when we talk about diet, we're talking about big calories, but these are the little calories, about one one thousandth of a kilocalorie in our diet. But I'm belaboring this point because trees and forests and ecosystems have a tremendous cooling effect. Through photosynthesis, through transpiration, they do a whole lot of cooling and nobody is talking about this. That's hyperbole. Some people are talking about this, but so few people are talking about the cooling power of ecosystems, the cooling power of living systems.
We need to talk about this more. We need to understand it. We need to appreciate it. And we need to know how to leverage the tremendous power that trees, plants, forests, and ecosystems have to cool our climate locally, regionally, and globally. Item number eight. So we're talking about your climate-friendly backyard. I'm going through a, a series of things that we're just going to lay the foundation. I want you to understand this, understand that. And item number eight, I want you to understand that almost all of the most widely used chemical fertilizers and pesticides are bad for biodiversity. Almost all. Very few exceptions. This includes the most popular herbicides. It includes the most popular insecticides. It includes the most popular chemical fertilizers. These things are bad for biodiversity. Why does that matter? Well, we've been talking about how an ecosystem has a cooling effect on our environment. And ecosystems are habitats for lots and lots of living things that are cool and nice and are vital, are fascinating, and are vital to our continued existence on this living planet. So I'm, I'm going to say a little bit later, I want you to just, just say no. It's like if you, like just saying no to drugs, just say no to chemical fertilizers and pesticides. Just say no. They are bad news. They are bad for adults. They're bad for children. They're bad for pets. They're bad for wildlife. They're bad for our soil, our water, our air. They're bad for the nutritional value. They're bad for our plants that we try to grow. They're bad for the nutritional value of the plants that we try to grow because they, they sabotage the ecosystem in the soil that otherwise will be available to keep your plants healthy and nutritious. Item number nine, speaking once again of soil, understand that some of the most important ecosystems in the world are those that reside in the soil. Healthy soil is teeming with organisms that live within food chains. These include bacteria, protozoa, nematodes, fungi, earthworms, insects, centipedes, millipedes, ants, and so on. There are thousands, possibly millions, of different types of organisms in your home landscape if you will nurture healthy living soils. So going on, we kill these organisms and these ecosystems when we till, when we plow, uh, because tillage destroys the soil structure. That should be a whole separate item. Tillage destroys soil structure. We also kill these living systems when we use chemical fertilizers and 
pesticides, biocides, fungicides, insecticides, herbicides. The word side means kill, so a biocide means you're killing life. Insecticide means you're killing insects, and just because you're using the insecticide to kill mosquitoes doesn't mean it's going to stop there. It's going to kill other insects, usually almost all other insects. You know, usually an insecticide is going to kill all insects. And at the very least, in, in addition to being toxic, these things kill off your biodiversity. Biodiversity is the gold standard. You want more biodiversity, not less. You always want more biological diversity. Because for one thing, biological diversity means that e ecosystem is going to be somewhat impervious to invaders. Invaders, pests, pathogens, etc. There's hardly anything more important than to maintain a robust ecosystem that is going to keep the pests and pathogens in check. We're talking about recommendations and thoughts and principles for your climate-friendly backyard. We've been going through a series of items. We're on item number 10. Number 10, understand that the soil benefits from a wide variety of organisms that burrow through the soil and create tunnels through which the water and air can flow. So, so you don't want to kill off these organisms that burrow through the soil. So little tiny things make little tiny burrows. Bigger things make bigger burrows. Still bigger things make still bigger burrows. So healthy soil is going to have lots and lots of burrows of many different sizes. For example, one thing I learned recently is that you know fungi grow in a kind of a tubular form, and then when the fungus dies, that tube stays in place, and some of the bacteria hide inside that tube, so the protozoa, which are a little bit bigger than the bacteria, can't get to the bacteria. That, that's just kind of a you know one example, but more importantly and more to the point, all these tunnels, like the tunnels that earthworms make, the term the tunnels that insect larvae make, the tunnels that ants make, all of these tunnels. That's how air and water flow through. So all these tunnels that are made by these living organisms. That's how air and water flow through the soil. You want water to be able to flow through the soil. You want air to be able to flow through the soil. Without that, it's compacted and the water can't get in. If the water and the air can't get in, then there's a whole host of living things that can no longer live there. So we've got about a minute or two left. Let me leave you with something to think about. I'm seeing opportunity. The whole point of this show is to help you see opportunity for your home landscape to be a place where living things can grow. And life begets life. We, have, we live on a living planet. We will forget that at our peril. We too easily forget that we live on a living planet. We focus too much 
on our built environment. We focus too much on our human inventions. Those are nice, sort of, but the, it's the living world that sustains us. It's the living world that we're missing out on. It's the living world that can be a source of recreation, fulfillment, health, nutrition. So let's nurture this living world in our midst. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining me. Have a great day. Thank you.